0: Well, let me begin by just giving a very hearty um, welcome and uh, uh, say hello um, to all of you who are here today, and especially to those who are gathered at uh, 33rd and at Waterford and at Lake Mary. It's a joy to be with you once again. It's been a while since I was last here, and yes, I've been on a journey, and I want to share my journey with you and uh, begin to share with you some of the things that God has been teaching me in these last couple of months. It's been about uh, 15 months now, 15 months ago, um, the leadership of the Nairobi Chapel asked me to step back from being the senior pastor of the Nairobi Chapel and said step up to being the bishop of the movement that we have begun. You see, 30 years ago when I came in as a rookie pastor, young, 26 years old, to lead the Nairobi Chapel, Um, we made a commitment to plant 300 churches by the year 2020. And we're up to about 220 now, all across Africa, in Sydney, in London, and we're actually just about to plant a church in San Francisco here in the U.S. And uh, they asked me to step back from pastoring the one congregation to overseeing these movement of churches and giving order to them. And so it was a major shift in terms of my responsibilities as a pastor, and it began me on a journey. I wanna read a text um, from the book of Luke chapter 10, and then draw some thoughts and comments from that. So if you have your Bible with you, um, turn to Luke chapter 10, I'll be reading verse 38 to verse 42. I'm reading from a version that you likely have not heard of yet, because it's just being rolled out now, and it's called the Passion Translation. The TPT, the Passion Translation, it's a fresh sort of interpretation of the old Greek and Hebrew, and it puts things in a delightful way that, you know, just refreshes what you're reading of scripture, if you haven't come across it before. So listen in with me. I think you'll love this. This is a story when Jesus spoke to Mary and to Martha. And we read in verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, They came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and her sister was called Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every word he shared. But Martha became exasperated because she was trying to finish off the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord... Don't you think it's unfair that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, why are you so upset? Pulling away, Pulled away by all these many distractions, are they really that important? Mary, your sister, has discovered the one thing that's most important, by choosing to sit at my feet. She's undistracted, and I don't want to take that privilege from her. After 30 years of being a senior pastor of the Nairobi Chapel and being involved in planting many, many churches across Kenya and across Africa and in other continents around the world. I got a chance to step back so that I could step up into new responsibilities and leadership. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm a Taipei personality and I'm one of those guys who needs a tick list that I can tick at the end of the day and I want to run into the next big thing, charge into it with all my energy. But before I charge into my new responsibilities, Lord, I want to take a break. I want to take an extended break and rediscover my first love for the lord because 30 years of serving as a pastor has been hard work tiresome work busy work and now i have a chance to pause and instead of rushing him to the next thing let me let me take a moment to just rediscover my love for god and i asked myself the question lord If I was to rewind the clock and go back 30 years and do it all over again, would I do anything different than I did? And almost instantly, an answer sprang into my heart and I said, Lord, what I'd want to do more than anything else is to discover what Mary discovered that Martha did not. To be able to sit and enjoy and revel in the joy of knowing you as God without being distracted by the busyness of life. I would want to deepen my intimacy with you. I would want to know you at a totally different level than my busyness has allowed me to know you in years past. I'd want Mary's story to be my story, as opposed to Martha's story, which I'm so given to as a Taipei personality. And so I said, Lord, show me how to deepen my intimacy with you. What do I need to do different? Because the only thing I know how to do is to throw myself into the task and do everything with all my heart and 120% energy. What do I need to do different? And the journey I've been on is discovering how to draw close to the Lord. Because there are those moments in Scripture where God says, if you do this, then I will come into your space and dwell with you. One of those passages is in the book of Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15, where God says, you know, I am the high and mighty God who dwells in the lofty places. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, but I also dwell with those who are humble and contrite in heart. It's almost as though God is saying, if you cultivate a heart of humility and you cultivate a contrite heart, you hold on to contrition. Contrition is that I know what I've done wrong and I know where I've erred and I am sorrowful because of that. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm not going to sweep this under the carpet. I'm not going to brush it aside. I genuinely am sorry for what I've done and please, please, Lord, forgive me. That's what contrition is. If you're humble and contrite in heart, then God says, I will come and dwell with you. There are about 10 places in scripture where God says this sort of thing. If you do this, then I will come and dwell with you. And I began to go through scripture to uncover these places. And I want to share one of them with you today because this is the one that I've sort of, you know, been working on and reading again and again and trying to to learn how to live in this space because God promises that if I do, then he will come and he'll be right there next to me in my space and we can talk and we can develop and draw our, our relationship into a deeper intimacy. And it is John chapter 14, verse 21 through to verse 23, where God says this. It was Jesus speaking about he and the Father. And he says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Love for God is not a feeling. Love for God is an action. It's obedience. And whoever has my commands and obeys them is the one who truly loves me. And he goes on to say, he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show, reveal myself to him. And then in verse 23, he says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings, and my father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. There's something about obedience that attracts God to come into your space and want to dwell with you. There's something about humility from Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 that causes God to want to come and sit next to you. There's something about contrition that causes God to want to come into your space and talk with you. And if you want to develop and draw deeper intimacy in your relationship with God, move away from what sometimes is true of our relationship with God. We have a transactional relationship. It's like a business transaction. You know, you give me your green dollars and I'll give you this product. You know, we're transacting. Give me something and I'll give you something back. And we sometimes do this with God and say, God, you know, you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. You know, you bless me. You make me thrive in my business. You, you, you make me feel good. You know, do nice things to me, God. You know, hear me when I pray and do all those things that I ask you to do. And I'll do nice things for you, God. I'll go to church and I'll give a bit of my, you know, income and I'll be nice to people. People, and I'll read your Bible, and you know, you do nice things for me, God, and I'll do nice things for you. And, and our relationship is transactional, it's not intimate. But if you want an intimate relationship, one of the things God says is, Obey me, and I will come and dwell with you. And so I've been asking the question, Lord, what then does true obedience look like? Because the relationship I want is not that transactional relationship. I want an intimate relationship with God. Let me give you, maybe just begin to define what intimacy looks like, okay? Intimacy is when you look forward to meeting somebody that you you really enjoy and you really like. A real friend and you think, tomorrow I'm having lunch with so-and-so, and and there's a smile on your face as you anticipate and wait. Now, some of you here are couples, and you know what I'm talking about, you know? Maybe, maybe the relationship became transactional after two years of marriage, but you remember when you were courting. And it was all about love and feelings and looking forward to being together. And we're going out tonight and, you know, we're going to go to this place. We're going to the art museum. We're, We're going to spend time together. And I just can't wait to hear your voice because we're intimate. We're friends. That's what intimacy is. Intimacy is when I feel safe and secure in a relationship. I have nothing to hide. I can be transparent because we're real friends and we don't hide things from one another. Intimacy is when you share a meal together and there's a lot of laughter and there's a lot of fun and it's you know it's a nice time, it's funny and you know it just you look forward to that. Intimacy is an open-hearted conversation. Intimacy is a smile crossing my face when at the close of the day I think back on the time that we spent together and my heart Overflows with gladness. That's what intimacy is. I want my relationship with God to be that sort of relationship. I don't want a transactional relationship. When I was quoting my wife, in uh, you know, before we got married, her sister told me something that um, made me think. You know, I would love to have that sort of relationship with God. Her sister had, you know, come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but had not really been investing herself in that relationship. And yet, my wife then, you know, my girlfriend, Beatrice, was very invested in her relationship with God. And one day, um, her older sister, Nyambura, happened to go into her bedroom, and she saw a piece of paper lying on the floor. And she picked it up and read it, and it was a note that my wife had written to the Lord Jesus. And On it was written these words, Lord, I'm going into the kitchen to bake a cake. Would you come and spend time with me there? And that little note touched Nyambura's heart at a very deep level, and she said, Lord, I want that sort of relationship with you, that I look forward to our being together. And when she told me, that has always been, in a sense, a mark of the sort of intimacy I want with God and that I long for so much more now in this new season of life. That's what intimacy is. So let's talk about John chapter 14 and verse, 23 through to, verse 21 to 23. If you obey me, then I will come and dwell with you. I'll come into your home and spend time with you and we can become intimate. What does real obedience look like? There are three things that God has set on my heart that I want to pursue with hunger, with all my heart. And the first of them is this definition of obedience. True obedience does not need to know the details of what God is calling me to obey. When God calls me to obey, I don't need to know why. I don't need to know the details. I don't need to know how this will play out. I don't need to know, you know, um, what, how does it end? True obedience does not need to know the details. And the reason I say that is because of a passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 to 8, that talks about this sort of obedience. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the chapter of faith, all the great men of the Bible and how they walked with the Lord. And so I'll read a couple of verses um, in verse 1 to 8, verse 1, verse 6, and uh, verse 8. And then I want to, sorry, sorry, verse 7, and then I want to read verse 8, which is what I want to focus on. This is what it says. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And then he gives an example of Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, that there was going to be a flood all over the earth and that he should build this massive boat, this ark, went ahead and did it even though he could not see the flood coming. Okay, By faith, he built an ark to save his family. And then in verse 8, it says this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. And I remember reading that verse and saying, we can do that. I can go to a place that I don't know where I'm going. You know, Lord, you want me to go right, okay? I'm going how far right should I go? And God says, don't worry when you get there, I'll tell you. Okay, God, like... When do I turn? Don't worry. Just keep walking. I'll give you the instructions when you need the instructions. But for now, just. But where? how will I recognize that I've arrived at the place you have asked me to go? No, no, no. Just keep going. When you get there, I'll tell you. You don't need to know the details. But will you obey even though I haven't unpacked the plan for you? Can we do that? Can you go to a place of obedience that God is calling you to? even though he hasn't given you the details. When he tells you, sell your house and move to San Francisco, why would I want to do that? Just do it, because this is me calling you to obedience. When he tells you, resign from your job, and trust me, I have something else in place for you, and you think, hey, Lord, you know, Can you tell me what that something is before I actually submit that letter of resignation? And God says, will you obey even though you do not know what the details are? True obedience obeys even where we don't know the details. I was deeply struck by this thought. In fact, in one of my morning devotional times, I was reading a a book, and it said this, that just aligned perfectly with this thought. And I want to quote it, say this, God is omniscient. He knows everything, is what that means. Um, Nothing is hidden from God. He knows the beginning from the end. God can see around the corner, which we can't. God can see into the darkness. God can see tomorrow. And so nothing is a mystery to God, even though it is a mystery to us. Think about that. We know something God does not know. Maybe the only thing that God does not know. And the thing we know that God does not know is that we know mystery. But God has no mystery. He knows no mystery because everything he knows and is open to him and he can see. He can see around the corner, he can see into the future, he can see into the past. Everything is visible to God. He knows no mystery, but we know mystery. We cannot see into the dark cloud before us. Mystery leaves us confused and afraid, anxious, but God has no anxiety because he sees the beginning from the end. The financial situation or crisis that we're in, we can't see the end of it. The marital situation that is hurting us and causing us so much pain, we wish we could see what next year will be like. Mystery is confusing and causes us to be afraid. But nothing is mysterious to God. Nothing causes him confusion. Nothing causes him fear or anxiety. What we need to do, therefore, is to learn to trust him, to put our hand in his hand and allow him to lead us because he knows his way through the dark cloud. We don't have to know the details because God does. And if God knows, it is enough. I'm safe because he knows how this will end even though he hasn't revealed it to me. I don't know where you are, but I would imagine that there are some of you who are struggling with this. You're struggling with obedience because you want the details. You feel insecure. You want to take that step of faith, but all you can see is all the things that could go wrong. The worst-case scenario turn out. And the question is, will you obey And trust that God knows the details, even though you don't. True obedience doesn't need to know the details. A second thought that struck me about obedience is this. True obedience does not delay. When God calls us to obedience, we obey and we do not delay. There's a beautiful story in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, where God said to Samuel, the prophet, Samuel I want you to go to Saul. Saul was a king of the people of Israel. Go to Saul, and I want you to tell him to attack the Amalekites, okay? Because when I brought my people out of Egypt, the Amalekites attacked the people of Israel, and they were harsh, and they, you know, they, they, they wage war against my people. And so now the time has come for me to punish them for what they did. So tell Saul to go attack the Amalekites, and I want him to wipe out everything, no cattle, no sheep, no camels, no nothing. Wipe out everything. And Saul did. Saul went and attacked the Amalekites. And, uh, you know, he obeyed. He attacked them. He, but he kept the best, the fattest cattle and the sheep. And after a couple of days, Samuel the prophet comes into camp and says, Saul... So, and Saul says, oh, Samuel, Samuel, my dear friend, Samuel, you know, I did everything God asked me to do. I have completely, you know, attacked the Amalekites. And Saul, uh, Samuel said to Saul, so why then do I hear the lowing of cattle and the bleating of sheep? And Saul does a quick turnaround and says, ah, oh, you know, you know, the army decided to keep some of the fattest cattle and the best sheep. And, uh, you know, so that we can sacrifice this to the Lord. I mean, this is all good. This is for God's glory. We're going to give it to the Lord anyway. So it doesn't matter that we didn't kill them off. We, you know, it's all going to be for God's, you know, goodness. And so don't worry about the sheep and don't worry about the cattle. And Samuel said to Saul, this is what the Lord says to you. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night, Samuel told Saul. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people. Why then did you not obey the Lord? Now, Saul would have said, But I did. I mean, I I carried out 95% of what God wanted me to do. And Saul, Samuel says, No, because delayed obedience is disobedience as far as God is concerned. When God calls us to obedience, it is no good for us to say, I only, you know, I accomplished 95%, but 5% I thought I won't do that because it's not necessary. Obedience is only obedience when we're fully committed and done what God has called us to do. Delayed obedience is disobedience. True obedience does not drag its feet. True obedience does not make excuses as to why I didn't do what God told me to do. True obedience doesn't just fulfill a part of what God has called me to do and leave the rest undone. Obedience is only obedience when I have done everything that the Lord has called me to. Indeed, Saul went on to tell Samuel what the Lord had said, that Saul had committed rebellion. By not fulfilling what God had called him to do. And he said, Saul's action is like the sin of divination. He may as well as have gone and consulted a witch doctor, a soothsayer, you know, um, some medicine man who reads the stars or some sort of thing like that. He may as well have gone and committed adultery. By not fulfilling my obedience to the full stop, he has committed the sin of divination. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And again, I wonder to myself, could there be those of us here that God has called to obedience and we're dragging our feet? And we're making up excuses. Lord, you know, this is really hard. And, you know, I didn't really meet that person I need to say sorry to. And even though you told me to say sorry to them, I, you know, I just, I missed them by two minutes. And, you know, well, you know, I don't think this is a sort of thing you call somebody on and talk to them. I, I just need to go to their place and find them there. And I didn't find them, so I haven't done what you asked me, Lord. Or maybe it's something else. Could it be that you're in an affair... And God has clearly said this is wrong. Let it go. Walk away. And you're giving all sorts of excuses. Oh, you know, you know, Lord, you know, I just, this is so hard, Lord. How can you ask me to do this? But I'll do it tomorrow, maybe next week. You know, next week we're going out for a date and so I can talk to them next week. And Just give me a couple of days, Lord. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When you know what God has called you to do, you don't drag your feet. You don't make excuses. You don't just do 95% of it. You do all that God has called you to. Here's a third one. True obedience has no plan B. This is the one I trip on most because, you see, I'm that type A personality. I'm one of those guys when God says, okay, here's what you've got to do, and I say, Lord, you know, Ah, there are consequences in that plan. I think I have a better plan than that, Lord. Instead of going through that door, why don't we go through the back door? And God says, no, the back door is shut. You're not going through there. And I say, okay, how about we go into the basement and go out through the window in the basement? Or how about we go into the bathroom and jump up? Jump? you know, there's always some other way to do things, and you're trying to advise God, you know, I have a better way, Lord, or this is, you know, maybe this, the outcome's here. Did you think about this, Lord? Type a personalities like me, this is where we get into trouble. In fact, I say that, you know, one of my problems with prayer is when I pray, after about five minutes, I start counseling God and telling him how he should get his job done. You know, God, you know, your timetable is not very good. And did you think of talking to so and so? And I start advising and counseling God as opposed to obeying and being quiet in his presence to voice the prayers that I have. But there's a beautiful story in the book of Jeremiah. And this is the third lesson that I've been learning about obedience. It's a story of the people of Israel. They were attacked, okay, by, I I think it was the Babylonians. And they could see this army coming, and they knew that their lives were a peril and that they were not going to survive this great and mighty army. So they all gather together, and they go to Jeremiah, the prophet, and they tell Jeremiah, Jeremiah, please go to your God and ask him what we're supposed to do. The specific words were these. Let me read from Jeremiah chapter 42. All the army officers and all the people from the least to the greatest approached Jeremiah the prophet and said, Please, hear our petition and pray to the Lord, your God, for this entire remnant. For as you see us now, though we were once many, only a few are left. Pray that the Lord, your God, will tell us what we should do, where we should go, and how we should do this. Jeremiah replied and said, I hear you. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested. I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. And so the people say, ah, wonderful, wonderful. You go find God and you talk to him and then come and tell us. They said, may the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. You know, we'll do everything. Just tell us we'll do it. Whatever it is, favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord. To whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us, we will obey the Lord. So they told Jeremiah. So 10 days later, Jeremiah comes back and says, God has spoken, and I have a message for you. And he tells them, he tells them this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me, says. If you stay in this land, even though this army is coming, even though they are mighty, even though they are strong, even though you cannot conquer over them and you cannot go in battle with them because there are so many, if you stay in this land, I will build you up and will not tear you down. And he went on to say, I will plant you and not uproot you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon whom you now fear. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hand. You know what the people did? Chapter 43, the story goes on. When Jeremiah finished telling the people all the words of the Lord their God had said, everything the Lord had sent him to tell them, Azariah, the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan, the son of Kerah, and the arrogant, all the arrogant men, said to Je- Jeremiah, you're lying. You're lying. The Lord our God has not sent you to say we must not go down to Egypt and find security there. The Lord our God has not sent you to say that we stay in this land, but Barak is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Babylonians so that they may kill us and carry us off into exile. And so Johanan And all the army officers and the people disobeyed the Lord and they went to seek refuge in Egypt and they were annihilated. True obedience has no plan B. When God calls us to obey, there's no back door, there's no window, there's no basement door. True obedience means I have no plan B. If God says no, then it's no. If God says yes, then it's yes. Some of us are hard of hearing the word no. And when we hear no, we say, ah, but Lord, you know, what about, what about, and if, and why don't you, and what about, you know, but so and so did it this way. Why can't I do it this way? You know, I need a bank, loan, lord, lord, and my banker said no, so can I go to some, you know, shark, you know, who's going to give me a uh, 30%? And, you know, what about, wh- what about my friend in England? Why can't I write them and ask them to loan me? When God says no, there is no plan B. I obey, and I accept what He's called me to do. And if it's no, then it's no. True obedience has no plan B. And so part of my journey has been exactly this: that I'm I'm beginning to learn obedience afresh, and to say, Lord, my Taipei personality, my desire to always dream up another way. I'm the one who keeps saying, you know, there are nine ways to skin a cat. If way number one doesn't work, go to way number two, way number three, way number four. You never get to way number five. You find a way to get it done. But with God, when He says no, it's no. There is no way number two, there is no plan B. Now, I don't know where you are. But here's my prayer for you, good people that your relationship with God would go to the next level of intimacy. And part of the way there is to be an obedient people, an obedient child, and to learn what it means to obey God. To do what he calls you to do without delay, To obey completely. To not weasel out and find another way, but just to accept the path that he's given you. I want us to pray together. And as we pray, I want to invite those of you here who know that God is speaking to me today because I've been that person who's been trying to find some rat hole that I can slip through and find another way of doing things by my way, like the people of Israel. Or maybe I'm not really obeying, I'm dragging my feet and I've not really done what God has called me to do. And you know that God is speaking to you here. And I don't know what that obedience area is. I don't know what it's about. But you know. And even as I have spoken today, you just know that God was speaking to me because he brought me in here today because he knows exactly what's going on between he and I. And I'm finding other ways to delay obedience. And that's disobedience. Now, if you're at one of the other campuses, there will be people who will be there to pray with you. And even here, if you would like to actually come up to Pastor John and one of the others and say, you know, John, I, I, I want to share with you what's going on in my life and I'd like you to pray with me and hold me accountable to obey what the Lord has called me to, then you can do that at the end of the service. So let me ask, if you're here and you just know that you need to obey God, that you've been playing games of you know, disobedience with him, would you just stand to your feet and allow me to pray with you? Anyone here who just knows this is my message and God has spoken to me today? Anyone? Thank you, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you, thank you. One more opportunity before we bow our heads in prayer. Then let's pray together. Father, we really do want to be in a growing relationship of intimacy with you. And you have said that if we walk in obedience, you will come and dwell with us. And so I just ask, Lord, that you would see these who stand in our midst today and who in their standing are saying, Lord, here am I. I hear you. I have been finding ways in which not to fulfill the obedience you've called me to, trying to create other ways, pathways that I can walk along to accomplish what I really want to do in my heart, even though you have said no. Maybe dragging my feet, knowing full well, That you've called me to obedience, but I don't want to obey what you've called me to. Would you see these who stand, Lord Jesus? And as they stand as a sign of their submission to you and their commitment to walk in obedience, would you come and dwell with them and strengthen them for the path that lies ahead of them? And where they may not know what the outcome, the final outcome is, would you nevertheless, Lord Jesus, Just woo them into obedience that they may obey even though they know not where the path will end. And for all of us, Lord Jesus, help us in our relationship with you that at those moments and times you call us to obedience would remember these words again. The true obedience does not need to know the details. The true obedience does not delay, and delayed obedience is disobedience. And the true obedience has no plan B I accept the answer that God gives me to the prayer I've prayed. And if it's no, it's no. There is no plan B. I obey. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.